Blog Talk Radio. Your hand it reached into the depths of darkness. Your arms pulled me to the light above. Your you spoke the word that broke my heart. Your Burn with holy passion fire
everybody. Welcome to Prayer International Radio. I guess today's Wednesday night. Our call-in number, as always, 619-638-8458. If you need prayer over the next two hours, by all means, give us a call. Um, today I came prepared, tonight that is, um, sort of having an idea of what to talk about and that being said, you never know what the Holy Spirit's going to do. Um, and secondly, um, since every now and then, at least usually once a night, Skype seems to um, cut out when you're using Blog Talk. I actually have my cell phone dialed in um, as a standby. So, and plus, if I feel like for any reason during the night I felt like getting up and walking around, um, then I'm all set for that. Um, so, mentioning the Holy Spirit. Knowing that uh, we're all just men, we're going to pray for a minute and give all this to him. So, Father, what else can I possibly say, but this broadcast is yours. The next two hours, Lord, do whatever you want to do. Holy Spirit, take complete and total control over the broadcast, over every word that is spoken, Lord. That through your word, Father, you can touch the lives and the hearts of those who are listening, Lord. Because all of us have adversities and issues that we face more often than we have the good times. And But we know that you meet us at the point of our needs, Father. We know that you're faithful from generation to generation. We know your word declares that you would never leave us nor forsake us. Father, in knowing how faithful you are. We know we have, according to your scripture, it says, if we know that you hear us, we know we have the petitions we ask of you. So, Father, tonight, um, gird our loins with truth. Father, quicken our minds to understand the mysteries and revelations laid out for us in your word to be revealed to us through your Holy Spirit. Father, tonight, that your presence would fill the Homes of every person who's listening, Lord, whether they're listening live, whether they're listening to an archive, God. Father, in all things, Lord, we ask that your truth be manifested. Father, for we choose not to believe the world, or we choose not to believe the the words of men or the declarations of men. Father, tonight, though, we make a choice to believe your word to be true. As you said, your word would not return to your void, Lord. We embrace your word, Father, declaring that you are a God who cannot lie. And more importantly than that, Father, you're a God who wouldn't lie. And just as you have called us your beloved, and just as through your own blood, Jesus, you have made us accepted, into the kingdom of heaven, Father, we present ourselves as living sacrifices to you tonight. That in all things, your name would be glorified, Jesus. Even if it's only in spite of us, Father. As your word declares, when we are weak, then you are strong. And as it says, that under the shadow of your wings, we will take refuge, Father putting all of our faith, all of our trust in you. For your scripture also said, the judge shall live by faith. 
God, I wish it said the just will live, would live by knowledge, but that didn't turn out very well for Adam and Eve. And so we choose, Lord, to live by faith, knowing that the work that you started, you will complete until the day of Christ in us. Because everything is for your good pleasure, Lord. Everything is for you. Amen. So, um, I wanted to talk a little bit tonight about um, healing, and we'll see what happens out of that. I had someone call in the other day. Um, Some of you were online and listening, and the caller was asking about why um, God never heals this or never heals that, and why he didn't he couldn't get proof um, even going so far as declare that there are groups out there that'll pay to see a miracle, and you know the first thing that came to my heart and in my spirit was where Jesus said that because the Pharisees were asking for a sign and and even um you know there's the story of Lazarus. Um, where Lazarus died and the rich man um, I guess he didn't go to um, heaven and he's sitting there and he's like well just send Lazarus over here to comfort me and um, and he was told no he has his part now you have your part now and but the next part is what really gets to me is the rich man said well, send Lazarus to go tell my brothers and my family so that they can avoid this place. And he was told if they didn't believe Abraham's words and Moses' words, they won't believe it even if someone's raised from the dead. And ironically, someone was. Not only Lazarus, but the Lord Jesus Christ. And even beforehand prophesying, saying, to the Pharisees that if they destroyed the temple he would raise it up again in third days but not even his own disciples could comprehend um, they didn't have the revelation and the understanding from the Holy Spirit of what he meant and was trying to signify proclaiming beforehand the things that would have to come to pass in order that the word of God might be fulfilled and more importantly for his very purpose to be fulfilled because he said this is for this very purpose I have come forth um, it says in Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him, despising the shame, he endured the cross. And so people always look for signs. And frankly, God is not in a habit of having to justify himself to anybody. He doesn't need to justify himself. He doesn't need to prove himself. He already has. He created the world and everything in it. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Um, we can get into scientific terms about it and say that God created every molecule and every atom and every proton, proton and neutron and every quark and the small and smallest um, particles that science has yet to be able to understand or even see. But yet he knows every one and every one of those tiny particles is ordered by the Lord and has its shape, its form, its existence, its purpose through him and him alone. 
Not only did he create the world and the universe and everything in it and all of us through his good pleasure, then when he could find none righteous, he sent his own son to die for us. And just to top it off, to prove and to seal the deal, as you will, to offer full redemption and salvation, then he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave, being victorious over the enemy, because not even death could hold him. And the Holy Spirit reached into the tomb and into the depths of death itself and raised the Lord Jesus. And then he was seated at the right hand of his father where he was from the beginning. With a kind of with a better glory than he had before. And now, having been given the name that is above every name, having all things placed under his feet, and if that wasn't enough, now it says he lives to make intercession for the saints. And he said a whole bunch of stuff too. You know, there wasn't, the Bible says if all the works of Jesus were written down, there's not a, a, an amount of books in the world that could contain the miracles that he performed. As many as came to him, he healed. And he didn't turn anybody away. And the funny thing about healing is, is there's so many different um, scenarios that people get healed. Some people who got healed by Jesus didn't even have faith. Some people who got healed didn't have absolutely any clue who Jesus was. If you don't believe me, read the scriptures. Some people did and some people didn't. Some people strived and they sought after him because they heard there was someone who could help them. And so they sought him for that. The woman with the issue of blood who pushed through a crowd that she wasn't even supposed to be around because of her infirmity, because she was an outcast. And she re pushed through the crowd not caring about what people said and not caring about the ridicule or people's opinions. All she knew is she had to reach and touch even the hem of his garment because that was enough. She said within her own heart, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be whole. And Jesus told her, your faith has made you well. There was the man that got lowered down on a cot because he couldn't walk on his own. And his friends even tore the roof off of the house, which I hope they paid for later. And because they wanted their friend to be healed. And they trusted Jesus. But it doesn't say that the man trusted Jesus. But he said, your sins are forgiven you. And then he healed them. But you know, all the healings of Jesus have a common denominator. Which is love. God rarely has to heal someone or perform some miracle whatever the miracle is, because there's various different gifts. And while at times there are a few occasions where 
some things are done that he can be glorified. For the most part in Scripture, that's the exception to the rule, although everything brings him glory and honor. But most times you read that Jesus was moved with compassion because he was a faithful high priest, having suffered all things that we suffered, having been tempted as we are, that he could be a perfect high priest. And with that came the same emotions we have, the same feelings, yet without sin. But you know, it wasn't, it didn't, healing didn't even start with Jesus. If you go through the Old Testament, God was still healing people because it's, well, it's the same God. I mean, Jesus said that, the Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that was working in the lives of the children of Israel. The same God that was in the Garden of Eden. The same God who died upon the cross. The same God who was resurrected. And sent us the Holy Spirit. He doesn't change. You know, there's a story of Elijah. And this young kid... Um, so um, 2 Kings chapter 4 And this is Elijah with an S And not a J He's actually the second Of the Elijahs um, And you know The funny thing about this This is the Elijah Who when his master Elijah left he's, He picked up his um, Garment and he said Where's this God of Elijah And the Lord started working through him But it gets to this point that this this woman's son dies and she goes to get the man of God. And she's upset because the Lord had promised her a son. And in verse 28 it says, So she said, Did I not, did I ask a son for my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to her, Get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Because, you know, Elijah knew he could just put the staff on the child and the child would be healed because he didn't have to be there because it wasn't about him and it wasn't about the staff. It was about the presence of the Lord. And it says in verse 31, Now um, Gehazi went on ahead of him and laid the staff on the face of the child. But there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awakened. And Elijah came into the house. There was the child lying dead on his bed. And he doesn't stop like Jesus said before when he said the child is only sleeping. This child is pretty much dead. And he went in there and therefore shut the door behind the two of them and he prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands and he stretched himself out of on the child and the flesh of the child became warm and he returned and walked back forth back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him then the child sneezed seven times and the child opens his eyes and he called Gehazi and he said, Call this Shunammite woman. So he called her, and when she came into him, he said, Pick up your son. 
So she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground, and she picked up her son and went out. And, you know, this is far before, if you want to look at time frames, it's far before the Holy Spirit was um, given unto men. They weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. But yet God was still working. The kid who died, this child, he, he didn't know that much about God, probably at his age. It wasn't his faith, it was his mother's faith. When Jesus cleansed the leper in Mark chapter 2, the leper just came to him imploring, saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. And you know, we could go through scripture after scripture, story after story about healings from Jesus all the way through the disciples. But some people still would never believe. But if they're not going to believe the word of God, they wouldn't believe if they saw a miracle. You know, I, um, a long time ago, I used to talk to the Lord, and I used to wonder why he didn't just show up and the flesh and say, here I am. And then he would say, I already did that. And they didn't believe me. And neither would they believe me now because their eyes have been darkened. Their hearts and mind blinded by the gods of this world, by the sinful flesh and the lust of the flesh and their desires for the things of the world so that the things of God have been hidden from them. And so it wouldn't matter um, what sign you showed them. They would come up with something not because they don't believe the sign, but because they don't want to accept him who is the source of all things. But the ironic thing is it doesn't matter. Because Jesus healed people who didn't probably know who he was. There is the blind the man who is lame at the pool of Bethsaida, he wasn't looking for Jesus. He was just there. Sitting on a, just like any person we see sitting on a street corner. Someone we see in the back of the church in a wheelchair. He was just there. And Jesus approached him. And he said, do you want to be made well? And Jesus killed him. So whose faith was that? Whose faith was that? Was that the man's faith? Or was it just the compassion of the Lord? It took faith for him to take his bed up when Jesus told him to. But his prayer had already been answered, even though he had never prayed it out loud. Because, you know, Jesus said, the Father knows the things you need before you even ask them. And so the question is, where's our faith? 
And I don't say that to bring judgment or condemnation or shame on anybody because the Lord knows I'm like everyone, like everyone else. I've missed so many opportunities for him to be glorified. Um, seeing people who needed prayer and always having that debate that goes on in your head whenever the Lord says, you should probably go do this and why don't you go do this? And even though we have the word of God and we know what the scripture says, that by his stripes we are healed for one reason or another, we still don't act upon it, even though the book of James says, faith without works is dead. And so where is our faith? Where is our trust in this God who created everything? Who we know is in all places at all times in all moments. Where is our faith to trust him to do everything and exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us through the Holy Spirit? You see, a day's coming. We're just like in the days of Egypt, and they had magicians and astrologers, and Moses would do a sign from the Lord, and then they would copy the sign. Because there was another power out there besides the Lord's, but it was the power of the enemy. And those days are coming back quickly approaching where the world is going to be given completely under sway of the evil one. And they will believe anything except for the truth because their hearts have been blinded. And the only difference will be who's performing the sign and which God they serve. And then what's the attitude of their heart when they're doing it? Are we doing ministry, whatever ministry entails, whether it's preaching or handing out tracts or handing out food or whatever it is we do? Are we doing it because we want to get our names in the paper or somewhere deep inside we think that sooner or later this is the way that I'm going to get into ministry and I'm going to be great and people are going to remember me? Or do we do things because, like Jesus, we look upon a world that's fallen, that's like sheep without a shepherd who are stumbling around in darkness and have the same compassion of the Lord on them and then realizing it doesn't matter who gets the glory. It doesn't matter who's the person doing the prayer. It doesn't matter anything because it's not about us. It's about Jesus because his name alone is going to be glorified. As great as it theoretically would sound, people aren't going to be saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty to me, or to Chris, or to any of you listening. But yet for eternity, we will worship the Lamb and Him alone. And so the attitude of our heart shouldn't matter about our lives because our lives 
are hidden in Christ Jesus. And we have taken upon or taken up the cross of the Lord. That as many as call upon his name shall be saved. And it's not going to be all of them. It may not be half of them. It may not even be a third of them. But there will be those who are hungry and thirsty who will believe the truth. Because the Bible says the goodness of the Lord leads men to repentance. Not our words, not our teachings, not the greatest music in the world, the greatest worship music that any church has ever produced. You know, um, me and Chris love um, worship music, and him and his wife like some, and I like others, and he always says that my choices are a little bit cheesy. But, you know, there's music out there that you listen to it, and it makes you literally feel like you're in the presence of God. But for those who are in the world... It wouldn't really do anything for them because they don't know about the presence of God and they don't understand. And so that the music's not going to lead them to repentance. The music's not going to all of a sudden turn their heart and convict them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. But it's going to be the Holy Spirit working in them, but working in them through us who are here caring about the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he said, my father has been working and I am working. So we too can say our father has been working and we too are working. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. Caring about the fragrance of the resurrected Lord into this earth. And declaring with all certainty and with all confidence that the kingdom of God is at hand. And not proclaiming things because they sound good or because we think it, it makes an intelligent conversation, but proclaiming the truth of his word because we know that it's the truth of his word. And we don't just proclaim it, but we walk in it. Declaring that his kingdom is at hand, that his dominion, his authority is now manifest into this earth and the enemy has no power. And that regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what's going on, it really makes no difference whatsoever. Because we know in whom we have believed. believe it's the lack of any time of God and hearing the word which fills our faith. I'm reading something that, I'm going to read this and I want to say something about this. Uh, someone in our chat room said, I believe it's the lack of spending time with God and hearing the word which builds our faith. We're a little lax in God, don't you think? For the disciples had problems hearing and it was the lack of faith. <laughs> you know, I could say a lot about that and 
this seems like it's probably one of those times where if you can forgive me for a second, I'm going to um, switch over to my other line. Okay, so hopefully all y'all can still hear me. And I'm going to get up from my chair in my office and while I'm on my cell phone, take a little walk. So can all y'all still hear me in the chat room? Okay, good. I did a broadcast from a little office next to my bedroom. And so right about this time, my wife has passed out. So um, I have to actually at least keep it down somewhat. And I've been informed that I talk really loudly at times. And so, but are we lax in God? Are we lax in the Lord and lax in our faith? Um, I guess, I mean, if you want to be honest about it, how much time does the body of Christ really spend in the presence of God, individually or as a group? You know, we have our Sunday morning services, and I don't want to offend anybody when I say any of this, but, you know, we have our Sunday morning services, and we go in for our hour, hour and a half of our, I guess, medicine, and then we leave. And it's us and God and the body of Christ, and then we're like, okay, that's it. But... It's not a life, it's an action. How many people have this relationship with him be all-encompassing in their life? It says in the scripture, he's the fullness that fills all in all. You know, when I, when I was growing up, and just to say this, um, when I was growing up in the Lord, um, at a young age, um, I think the Lord showed up in my life when I was probably seven or eight, but I didn't actually get saved until I was probably 16 or 17. But growing up then, I didn't go to church because my parents didn't go to church, and I was too young to go to church until I got older because I didn't have a way to get there. And... I, all I knew about the Lord is what I read in books and the Bible and what I learned from listening to sermons that may be on the TV and all those things that the Holy Spirit took and he worked in me and gave me revelation about his presence. And at the same time, I didn't really have any friends back then, um, maybe just a small handful And so the only person I had back then was the Lord. If you ever worry, wondered about the scripture that talks about marriage, and I believe it's in Corinthians, where it says, he who's married seeks for his spouse, and I'm paraphrasing this big time, and those who are single, their concerns and desires are for the Lord, and it's true. I didn't have anybody else. And so I just had the Lord, so all my time was spent with him. 
and not to boast in myself, but to boast in the Lord. You know, back then, I would be, everything I did, I was worshiping the Lord. I was just a young kid. I didn't, I hadn't even experienced any tribulations at that point. And my heart was so full of joy, not because I had a whole bunch of things, not because I was seeing miracles and breakthroughs, not because everything in the world was working out. Actually, everything was not working out. Um, but I never had, I hadn't had actually experienced anything major. I never experienced the world and sin and everything else because I was pretty sheltered back then by the hand of the Lord. But everything I was doing, I was always worshiping the Lord. I would be, I think one of my first jobs was working at a grocery store. And, you know, I remember like pushing carts back and forth and worshiping the Lord while I was pushing carts. And, or when I was working at some gas station and I had to walk around about three miles to get to my house because I didn't have a car. And this whole three-mile walk was my time with the Lord outside of what I had in the house. But this was like a special time with me and him walking. And though I would constantly pray for rights, sometimes I would get them and, you know, sometimes I wouldn't. And... When I say pray for rides, that's me praying and someone stopping on the side of the road to give me a ride. But that was the exception to the rule. Because most of the time, it was just me and the Lord walking together. Just walking down the street, worshiping Him. Realizing who He really was. Realizing that He was more real than all of the other things that you see around you. And the peace, the, the the scriptures talk about a peace which surpasses all understanding. The ability to stay calm in a storm. Not because of your ability or because of the state of the storm, but because of him who is above the storm and over the storm and him who controls everything, including the wind and the and the rain and the waves and the sea and the sand and everything else. Because the scripture declares he put it all in his place and he gave everything boundaries. You know, when Jesus was in the boat that was sinking and his disciples were freaking out, Jesus didn't get up and he didn't start screaming at the storm and at the the waves that he made and be like, I rebuke you, enemy, and blah, blah, blah. He just looked at the storm and said, peace. And the storm subsided. Because the only thing he had to give was, was what was in him, which was peace. Because Jesus knew who he was. He knew, who, he knew whom he had come from, and he knew where he was going. Despite knowing what he was going to have to go through and the, the the trials and the tribulations and the very fact of having to get upon the cross. He still had peace, but it wasn't based on everything else. It wasn't based on the fact that his 12 disciples he chose had almost no faith. And it, and it wasn't based on the one of the 12 that he chose was going to betray him and that he was going to be beaten and crucified and scarred beyond any man, and scarred beyond recognition. 
and have the sin of the entire world from beginning to end laid upon him by his own father. His peace had nothing to do with any of that. But his peace had to do with the person with whom he was in communion with and whom he was in relationship with. You know, I was, when I was saying that um, growing up, I, I read a lot of books, and my earliest recollection, record, um, record, my earliest memory of people in God was reading about men and women of God back in the 18th century and the 19th century, and men and women who would not just make a way to spend their one hour with the Lord, because I remember a book that came out not even 15 years ago where it was like, it was talking about couldn't you not carry one hour, taken from the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus, his disciples kept falling asleep. And so they made this big movement about why can't you just pray for an hour? But no, back then... It wasn't just about can you pray for an hour. It was how many hours can you spend before the Lord? And men and women who would consider themselves not worthy to be in the world unless they had spent five or six hours on their face before the Lord, knowing and understanding that hearing his voice was more important than anything they would hear throughout the day. Understanding that 90% of all the work that they would do in the kingdom of God was going to take place on their knees before the Lord, interceding on behalf of the world before they ever got into the world to do the work. Because they realized that it wasn't enough just to go out to the world and know some scriptures. And it wasn't just enough to go out into the world and possibly have a little bit of faith that he could do something because you read it in Scripture. No, they knew that they had to be before the Lord because they had to hear from him. They had to seek his face. They had to intercede and pray, and they had to have the victory in him, have the confidence in him before they ever stepped out in the world. And so... You know, some would ask if we're, if I think that where Christians are lax in their faith and in their relationship, and I would say, look to Jesus. Whereas it says, look unto Him, the Author and Finisher of our faith. You know, I think people who, you know, the, the Lord's interesting. Um, as much as he loves us and as much as he wants to spend time with us and as much as he longs for a fellowship with us, he doesn't force it on us. Like the choice of eternal life, it comes down to what people want. Those who choose not to have eternal life, who refuse to be in his presence, will get what they want, which is eternity without him. But I think you can have as much of the Lord as you want in your life. I think that the ministry and the signs and the wonders that we see in in the disciples and in the ministry of Jesus, which, by the way, he said we were all going to have. So it's not like he hasn't provided. 
the question is, we just have we found how to get to the provision? And do we realize where the provision comes from? Because some of us are still laying hands on the sick and looking at our own hands and wondering when we're going to feel something. Because somehow we still haven't understood that it's not about gold dust, it's about glory. And just because we can't see something happening with our eyes doesn't mean it's not happening in the spiritual realm. Because it's not about the manifestation we see, it's about the manifestation of the spirit that happens because his word is spoken. And that he spoke his word was enough. You know, if you turn to the centurion who came to Jesus because his son was sick and dying. And Jesus said, let's go to your house. The man's like, you don't have to go to my house. I know who you are. You don't have to step one foot. You just speak the word. And he'll be healed. Because he knew Jesus didn't have to be there. His word alone was enough. When he created heaven and earth, and everything in it, and the hosts of heaven, he just had to speak a word, and it was done. Just one word from the Lord is enough. And ironically... Most of the words that we need, we've already been given. Why we still ask the Lord to hear our prayers when the scripture already declares that he has and that he does? Why do we have to pray for the Lord to be with us when he's already declared since the beginning over and over again and you would think he would get tired of saying it, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, but yet we still have to pray for it because somehow we just think if we pray for it, we'll feel it more. But you see, it's not always about feeling. Sometimes it's about faith. Sometimes it's about trust. And in every relationship, there comes a point where you have to grow up. And you have to be confident in the relationship you have, and you have to be confident in the person that you're in a relationship with. Every one of you who's married know for a fact that you're not going to be around your spouse 24 hours a day. But it doesn't change the fact that you know them. You know, I've yet to fully comprehend why God heals some people and some people don't get healed. Because if everybody was raised from the dead, nobody would die. But we know the scripture says every man is appointed once to die and after that to judgment. I don't know why some people stay around in wheelchairs, whether it's people's lack of faith Maybe it's their lack of faith. Maybe it's because there's just something going on that we don't understand. Maybe the Lord is using something in the person's life to bring about a change that wouldn't be accomplished any other way. Every firstborn of the household of Egypt had to die in order that the children of Israel could have freedom. You never know why certain things happen, why God has to do certain things, and why he works some things the way he does. But it's not our job to question him. 
does every single person you pray for get healed? They should. Do they? Not always. But does the fact of whether or not the outcome and what's really happening have any effect on his word that declares that he heals them? No. Because his word is true, and he's a God who doesn't lie. And his scripture, the scripture says, by his stripes we're healed. That's it. It's saddled in heaven, finished. That is the word. Don't need anything else. Period. Jesus was on the cross. He said, it is finished. Now, just because we don't see the manifestation of that all the time doesn't mean there isn't anything happening. If you recall, Daniel prayed, and it took an angel of the Lord something like seven months to bring him the answer that God had already given from day one because the angel was fighting principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age like Paul talked about when he said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And so the real question becomes, if we trust the Lord's word to be true, then it shouldn't matter what we see with our eyes. Because obedience doesn't require understanding. Obedience never requires understanding. Obedience only requires action. And our job is to be obedient to the Lord. You know, Jesus was found many nights before the Father. And his disciples would look for him. And then they'd find him. Seeking Jesus. Or I mean, seeking the Father. (laughs) Because Jesus knew that his relationship as a father was the most important thing. And for us, too, our relationship to him should be the most important thing. I heard someone say once that the amount of the presence of God that you will carry around with you in your life will be based on the amount of the presence of God and the amount of your relationship that you're willing to guard and protect. And while that sounds weird, there's far too many people out there who don't value the presence of God in their life and they don't value the glory of God and the anointing of God. But they parade it around like it's a trophy, like it's something they can put on their business card, not under, not understanding that the glory doesn't belong to them, but it belongs to God. And so the question is, when things in this world happen, and, you know, we can talk about holiness. You know, Paul said all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Well, what does that mean? Well, honestly, it means whatever is in your life that takes your mind off of God, you get it out of your life. It means anything that becomes a hindrance or a barrier or a block or a veil between you and the presence of God, you remove it. Because the veil of the temple 
was torn in two and it was removed when Jesus died upon that cross and he gave us all access to the Father. And how dare we put anything else in that veil's place when he has made a way for us to have access to the Father. Whereas it says, come boldly to the throne of grace in which we are accepted in a time of need. But yet it seems that we're constantly trying to shovel things between us and the Father because somehow it makes us feel more comfortable. And somehow if we can feel unworthy, then we don't have to step in front of the Father. Which is when it's the one place we should be. Because you think he really cares about your sin. Yeah, he said, be holy for I am holy. And when you're in a relationship with the Father, and when you surrender your life to him, sin will go away on its own, because your very heart and your very attitude will change through the Holy Spirit. But do you really think it shocks him or concerns him when you mess up? Now, it says when we were out sin, or it says when we were still in sin, Christ died for us. Do you think that the minute you get saved that all of a sudden his love is going to somehow diminish or change? Do you think he did, he knew you back then before you were saved, but all of a sudden now it's like a mystery now? He knows every hair on our heads. He knows us completely and totally. It says in Ephesians um, chapter 2, I believe verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand that, that He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then in the Old Testament, He said, "God said, Behold, I know the thoughts I think of you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope." The Father is adamant about proving His love to you. And there's little that you can do to change his opinion of you. Because his opinion was already decided. It says he has forever perfected those who are being sanctified. So why don't we go before the Father more often? Because we don't want it bad enough. And that's the honest answer. The scripture says to pray without ceasing. So how bad do you want his presence? When do you get to the point that you walk in his presence? And I don't mean walking in his presence. It's just be like understanding that he's there. But actually living a life with him there. Because that will really mess you up. That will mess up your whole outlook on life. Your whole outlook on the world around you. Because then when something happens or you hear something or you see something, you don't have to be like, well, I need to go pray about that. You just turn to the person next to you and be like, God, what do you think? And since he's already closer to you because he dwells inside of you, you probably don't have to get that far because the answer is already there. Walking with the Lord doesn't require a lot of work. It just requires communication. It requires obedience. And it requires a love of the Father and a love of His presence. 
that you'll never do anything to let it leave. You know, I heard the um, this pastor, um, and I forget what his name is, um, I always do, um, said if you have a bird f- fly over to you and land on your shoulder and you want it to stay there, then everything you do, every step you make, you will do knowing that that bird's there and you don't want it to leave. You won't run too fast. You won't make hasty movements. You won't do anything except for be careful of it. And in the same way, we should be careful of the presence of God in our lives. Even though we know he'll never leave us nor forsake us, the attitude of our hearts should be to honor that which he has already given us. The same way we honor our salvation by not going out and sinning just because we're forgiven. Just like we honor the Lord with tithes and offerings and all that other stuff, not because the scripture says anything about it, but just because we know that everything we have belongs to him. And we're blessed just because of who he is. And the abundance of and the outpouring of our heart's relationship to him is to become givers. And it's not something you have to act upon, act to do. It's just part of who you are. You can't help but giving. You can't help but caring. You can't help but being compassionate for the world. Because the Bible says, freely as you, you have received, freely give. You know, when I say it, it all comes down to how badly you want it, and it's true. And it sounds um, in some way like one of those um, purification, holiness, like, I guess what they call it, legalism, that's the word. You know, um, some people call it legalism when you say, well, I'm not going to listen to this music because it doesn't glorify God, and I'm not going to watch this TV show because it doesn't glorify God, and... I'm not going to do this because it doesn't glorify God. And some will say, well, you're just being legalistic. And I remember I was talking to Chris about a month ago, and he had that conversation with the Lord. And the Lord told Chris, I guess the Lord had wanted him to do something, and Chris was like, Chris's first reaction was, won't that make me a little bit legalistic? And the Lord looked at Chris, and he told Chris, what I've called... What you call legalism, I call love. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll follow my commands. And if you really loved him, how much more would you do? How much more would you devote your life and give your life and every breath and every moment to him? If you love him. Whenever the sin and temptation come in, the first thing that has to happen is your thoughts have to stray away from him who you love to focus on something else. So the question is, when do we grow up in the Lord enough that we put our minds back where they belong? And as the scripture says, casting down every thought and imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. When we're at work and all of a sudden we, like always, are 
get in the habit of talking about this person who did this and this person who did that? When do we cast down those thoughts and start having the compassion of the Lord for that person? Or the person who's a prostitute on the street corner or the drug dealer? Or for that matter, the homeless person on the side of the road? When do we put aside all the thoughts that we would normally have because we're human and take up his cross and look at them look at them through the eyes of him who created them and said that he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to everlasting life. But you don't have to. We really don't have to do anything. We could be content with going to church and an hour and a half or whatever and content reading their Bibles for a minute, a day, or or five minutes every week or whatever. We could be content on worshiping the Lord just every time we hear a song on the radio. And, you know, it's fine. The Lord will be fine with that because he loves you no matter what. He's going to love you the same whether you spend five minutes with him or whether you spend eight hours. It's not going to change how he feels about you. He's not going to approve of you more. You know why? Because the Bible says, by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's absolutely nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do to make us any more pleasing to God than we are right now because he's already forever perfected those who are being sanctified, already declared us righteous by faith through grace, already accepted, done, finished. Like he said on the cross, it is finished. So you don't have to spend more time in his word and you don't have to spend more time with God. But the real question is what what changes if you do? So you know, so his word becomes dwelling inside of you. So that every time you open up your mouth, there's five million scriptures that are burning inside of your heart for the Holy Spirit to work through. So you spend enough time in his presence that you really can learn to hear his voice and distinguish it from the voices of the world and your own thoughts and the voice of the enemy. But I can tell you from experience that hearing the voice of God Everybody can hear his voice. The question is, can you distinguish it when you hear it? And when the Lord says something to you, in whichever way he chooses to say it, will you really know it's him? And how will you know it's him if you haven't spent enough time in his presence to understand what his voice sounds like to you? If you want to lay hands on the sick and you want to have them be healed, you don't really have to read more scripture for that. You don't have to have some new prophetic word about it. You actually don't even have to go seek the Lord to see if it's will, his will. Because he already declared it was when he said, as you go, preach, proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, 
cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, raise the dead. Freely give, receive, freely give. So if you want to write it down, put it on postcards, put it on little stamps, or write it on your hand so you don't forget it. There is this word right there available for us to use. Don't need to ask him again because he's already said it. He didn't have to, like, say when he created the world, he didn't have to say, let there be light. Oh, wait, hold on, let me try that again. Let there be light. God doesn't have to repeat himself. Once is enough. When he looked at the blind men and he healed them, or the man at the pool, or even Peter when he was walking by by the gate beautiful, and he prayed for someone. He didn't have to repeat himself a whole bunch of times because he knew God's word was already there and God had already spoken his word. You know, the story about Jesus in the boat and it's sinking and everybody's all freaking out and he speaks to the storm and tells it to be calm. He really didn't have to speak to the storm and tell it to be calm, but he did it, I think he did it on behalf of his disciples so they wouldn't freak out. And the reason I say that is because he had already said before they got in the boat, let's go to the other side. So he had already purposed and determined that they were going to go to the other side. So it really didn't matter what storms came up. It didn't matter if there was a hurricane or a typhoon or, you know, the sky could have started falling. And they were still going to get to the other side because Jesus had already declared it. And in the same way, when he said the works that I do, you will do greater. You will do also in greater works than you will do because I go to my Father. He doesn't have to repeat himself again. We don't have to pray for it because we already have it. We have an open heaven. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The realm of God's dominion and his authority is in our grasp and in our reach. And it's already inside of us through the Holy Spirit. Why do you think it says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ? Or why it says that we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus? It's not because it's something that would be really nice if it was true. It's not because it's something we're supposed to strive for and hope for. And maybe if we try really hard to be good Christians and good believers, and then someday we'll obtain that. No. It's already ours in Christ Jesus. Regardless of whether we believe it or whether we know it or anything else, it doesn't negate the fact that it's true and that he has already declared it to be true. But the truth is there's nothing like his presence. Nothing. There's nothing like going in a church and having amazing worship music so that you can feel his presence descend like it did in the Old Testament where it said that the cloud of glory descended so that the priest could minister because of the cloud of glory. And it's great when you get to experience those things. But what's even better than that is when you get home from church 
and you walk in your house and you walk around to go t- take your shoes off and you sit down and you look up and you're like, oh, wait, you're here too. Because you realize you're still there. And then you walk into your kitchen and you're like, oh, wait, you're there too. Or you go get in your car and you realize his presence is still there because he's not going to leave you. And so when you come to a situation where you need faith or you need to believe or you need to pray, you don't have to go do anything and you don't have to change anything because the very source of all the promises that we have is with you anyway. And so the only thing left is for you to be brave enough to be obedient, brave enough to step out onto the water, you know, we we always say in our minds, I think, that how much we wish we could be Peter and how we wish that we could have been the one that Jesus said, hey, come out to the water. And we're like, hey, Jesus, if if it's you, tell us to come to the water. And Jesus is like, come, Peter. And Peter jumps out onto the water and starts walking to the Lord. And we all wish we were in there. That the Lord would say, come out onto the water. Come experience what it's like when your eyes are on me and not on the world. And we all want to be there. <laughs> Which is funny since ironically we already are. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, raise the dead. Heal the sick, cleanse the rattlers. Cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, raise the dead. <laughs> so pretty much there's this command to walk on on the water. The question is, do, you, do we have the guts enough to jump? Do we have the guts enough just for a moment in this time that we live in to see what happens when you try obedience out? Just to see what happens when you put all the fear and the doubt behind and you're just like, okay, God, let me just try this once and see what happens. Or let me just see what happens if I spend a little bit longer with you today. I know I was only supposed to spend like 20 minutes with you, but let's, you know what, let me just stay with you a little bit longer. And understand that he doesn't have to say anything. But God, it's enough if we just know that you're there. Because the Bible declares that in your presence is fullness of joy. The world's never going to change. Um, there's your newsflash and your bulletin and your update. This world that we live in is not going to all of a sudden wake up one day and realize the error of its ways and all of a sudden decide that they want to live righteously and godly. There's not going to be a political leader that is going to get up 
and boldly proclaim the name of Jesus into this world. It's not going to happen. But what is going to happen? It's going to get worse and worse, worse and worse, because it says, as the time of Noah, so will it be. At the time of his coming, which is fast approaching. And what is going to happen is there's going to be those who have already died to yourself, and they've already died to the world. So like Jesus said, the enemy comes, but he has nothing in me. Jesus said, the, he's, the enemy of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. And we too could walk and say, the enemy of this world has nothing in me. There's nothing in this world that can satisfy me. Because I've tasted the presence of God. Because I've beheld His glory. And you can declare that you've been changed and transformed by His hand alone. And then it doesn't matter what you do. Because you know you're not the only one doing it, but it's you and the Lord. So then it doesn't matter who you pray for. Who cares if they have a broken finger or maybe they're in a wheelchair or, or you know, worst case scenario, they're dead. Well, the Lord put you there. You were there at that moment of time for whatever reason. They were there at that moment of time for whatever reason. Your past crossed. You have something inside of you. As the scripture says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You have something inside of you. You got it for free. So then you go give it away. And you keep giving. And you keep believing. And you keep trusting the Lord. And no matter what the enemy says, you don't listen. Because it says the enemy walks around like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour But it also says resist the devil And he will flee Sooner or later he'll give up And then it doesn't matter What obstacle Or what mountain comes your way Because you know the Bible says He didn't give us the spirit of fear But of power And of love And of a sound mind
you know, um, the Bible declares that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And while some of us, our first thought would be, I really hope that he knows me and he recognizes me. We the, we already know that he does because he's the one who formed and made us and fashioned us in our mother's womb. The real question is, is will we recognize him? Because even the disciples after his resurrection, even men on the road, even people who had been at the cross still couldn't see past their physical eyes. And so they couldn't recognize him. But yet, (laughs) I bet you if there's someone in your family that's in the grocery store with you and they call your voice, you're going to know exactly it's them and you're going to know above five million shouting voices, who's your beloved that's calling you? And he said, my sheep will hear my voice. And the voice of a stranger they will not follow. So then what we need to do is spend enough time with him that we can recognize his voice. And then what do you do? Then you rest in the Lord. Because there's not a thing in the world that could happen. Not a mountain, not an obstacle. An atomic bomb could drop in your living room while you're sitting right next to it. And it wouldn't matter. Because you know he doesn't change. And you know your life is hidden with God in Christ Jesus. You know you belong to Him. You know every second, every moment is ordered by the Lord. You know, when the scripture says that those who (laughs) abide under the shadow of the old, those who dwell, that's it. Those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You know, when a young um, bird hides beneath the wings of its mother, it doesn't fear what's around it because it knows that it's safe and secure in the arms of its mother. What can the world really do to us? Though we face persecutions and peril and distress and nakedness and famine, though we're beaten and scourged and mocked, it really doesn't matter. Because our lives are not our own, they're His. Because this life is but a vapor anyway. And the hope of glory that we have is this eternal life in him that already began the second you let him walk into your life and you let him take up residence in your heart. You see, eternity doesn't begin 
when you breathe your last breath in this physical body. This shell, it begins when you enter into your relationship with the Lord. So we're going to um, take a quick break. If you need to call us, 619-638-8458. I'm going to play a worship song, and then we will be right back.
the glory come down, yes, Jesus. Let the fire fall, let the wind blow, let the glory come down. Let the fire fall, let the wind blow, let the glory come down. Let the fire fall, let the wind blow, let the glory come down.
that we have a purpose, that he has a plan for our life. What can you possibly say to him? Except Abba Father. (laughs) But yet, he desires to dwell in us. He desires fellowship. He desires intimacy and relationship. And yet, at the same time, he desires intercessors. Abraham stood before the Lord over 4,000 years ago, something like that, interceding on behalf of two cities he had, as far as we know, never stepped foot in, inquiring of the Lord not to destroy cities if there was any righteous within. And sometimes I wonder if he's still waiting for those of us who have received the words of truth, who have been given the mantle of authority in this earth in the name of Jesus, to declare his kingdom is at hand. I wonder if sometimes he's still waiting on us to be like Abraham and to stand before him interceding on behalf of this world. Jesus said to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into his harvest because if you look at the fields, they're white and ready to be harvested. And Father, even as we do this broadcast, Lord, we know out there there are, Lord God, there's countless millions who don't know you, who've never heard your name, who've never even heard the name of Jesus those who are still attempting to obtain life by any means necessary, those who strive and struggle in vain to obtain that for which you have already freely given through your Son, So, Lord, tonight, Father, we stand in agreement together Lord, asking once again that you would Father, that you would spare the nations, Lord Father, that you would raise up intercessors God, from the north, south, east, and the west, Lord That you would raise up a holy generation of believers Father, who are not ashamed to call upon your name. Father, that you would raise up men and women. Father, who care more about you than they care about this world. Father, who cares more, who care more 
about your presence and your glory than they clear about riches. Father, that you would raise up men and women who would long to seek your face, Lord, those who would long to be in love with you. Father, and that you would make us lovers of you and not lovers of this world. That you would remove all the hindrances in our lives, Lord. Father, remove all the misconceptions. Remove all the lies the enemy has told us. Father, and through your word, create a sanctuary for your presence to dwell in us. Father, that we, as your scripture has already said, that we're being built up for a dwelling place of your spirit, God, that you would prepare us to be habitations for your presence, Lord. Father, that you would declare to us your will and your purpose. Lord, that you would reveal your purpose to us, Lord. And above all, God, we want you. And absolutely nothing else will do. Nothing else can come close, Father, to the excellence of the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, your word declares that you have written our names on the palm of your hands. Lord, and in like manner, Father, we inscribe your names upon our hearts. Father, sanctifying ourselves and setting ourselves apart for your purpose alone. Lord, declaring that not only are you are our Savior and our Redeemer, Father, but you're our Lord. Father, and we bow down our lives, Lord, yielding everything, Father, so that you could have way. Father, that you would move through your Holy Spirit in this world, Lord. Father, in me, Lord, through every person who's listening tonight, God that you would transform us into your image through your Holy Spirit. Father, that we could become habitations for your presence in this earth. Father, and that you would give us revelation, real revelation, Father, of who you are. Father, and once we know who you are, that we can know who we are in you. Father, that we would be confident in your word and in your promises toward us, Lord, that we can learn as a body of believers to stand upon your promises, Lord, declaring that all your promises are yes and amen, that all your words that you spoke are true, Lord. Father, that we can walk in faith and not by sight, Lord that regardless of what attempts the enemy throws at us, Lord, that you will always be at the forefront of our hearts, Lord. Father, tonight for anybody who's listening to the broadcast, 
you know exactly where they're at. And you know what your word says. And we trust and believe that you are able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. Father, so, God, we call upon your name, Lord, declaring your name tonight in this earth. Father, asking for anybody who is here tonight, Lord, who has any kind of need for healing, Father, in their bodies, Lord. That right now, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Father, that you would completely and totally heal them, Father. That they would be completely and totally restored in the name of Jesus. Father, every disease to go now in the name of Jesus. We rebuke every spirit of sickness, Father. Satan, in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave. I rebuke every spirit of infirmity, every spirit of deception, every spirit of addiction, every spirit of bondage. You must go in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We command you to depart these believers right now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill every one of these. Fill them all with your presence, Lord. From the top of their heads to the soles of their feet, Lord, let them be consumed with your presence. Father, that you would manifest yourself in them you and manifest your word in their lives. <sighs> Father, give us new eyes tonight. Lord, give us new ears. Give us a new heart. Father, let this compassion that you had for this world become ours. Father, that we would take up your desires for this world, Lord. Father, that once again you would take the coal and touch our lips and cleanse us from all our words, Lord, that do not glorify you. Father, that the only words that come out of our mouth would glorify you, Lord, that would uplift the believers, Lord. Father, we yield everything to you tonight. Knowing that you're already glorified, that you're already exalted, Jesus. Amen. So we have about a minute or two left. Um, We'll be back tomorrow night at 10 o'clock. If you need prayer between now and then, um, you can always email us at prayerinternational at gmail.com and um, we will get your prayer requests and pray for you. Oh, Father, um, 
Lord, for Daniel in New York, our, um, who's homeless, Father. Lord, you, you've protected every day, Father. We, Lord, once again, Father, declare and ask for your provision for his life, Lord, that you would completely and totally wrap him in your presence, Father, that you would direct every one of his steps according to your word, Lord. So that being said, um, I guess I missed a lot of stuff in the chat room, but um, the Lord knows who are his, and I trust the Holy Spirit to take care of everything else. Um, So for Chris and me, this is Prayer International Radio, and we will be back tomorrow, so all of you um, be blessed and have a good night, and if you need something, email us at prayerinternational at gmail.com One day when heaven was filled with his praises One day when sin was as black as could be came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. The word became flesh and the light shined among us, his glory revealed, living he loved.
Buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified. 